I take the next little while. We've got guest speakers here and there, but I want to take the next little while. Um, I, I don't know how long it'll be, whatever it is. But I want to teach and preach around the magnificent third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, or, or as the King James authorized version declares the Holy Ghost. I want to speak in and teach in and around that and maybe stir something in our hearts and stir something in our lives. I want to talk, talk, talk about the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because I think as believers, it's so important it's vitally important that we understand, appreciate, and experience the work and ministry of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Yes. I want to tell you, you cannot do the Christian life without it. It'll, if you try and do it without it's going to be hard. And so I want to teach around it and help hopefully give understanding that will create a hunger in you and a thirst in you for the things of God that maybe he would just do something in my, my life, in our life. See, the Holy Spirit is not extra, it is essential. The Holy Spirit is not some add-on that, oh yeah, I can take it or leave it. No, it is essential to the Christian walk. It's essential to the Jesus followers life. We as Jesus followers need the Holy Ghost presence and power in our lives. The Bible tells us that Jesus after his resurrection, before his ascension, he told his disciples to wait. Don't do anything, don't go anywhere, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In my former book, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. He was taken up into heaven. Now it begins by saying the former book. The former book the author speaks of is the gospel of Luke, which he, Luke, also wrote to Theophilus. See, Luke 1 verse 4. Theophilus' name means friend of God or one who loves God. And understand, this book says, if you love God here today, God would speak to you as one who loves Him, one who seeks to follow Him, one who seeks to serve Him. Now the same Luke who wrote the gospel was writing the book of Acts and he really is just picking up. You go and read the end of the book of Acts. He's really just picking up the story right where he left off in the last chapter. So let's continue. Acts chapter 1, Jesus, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. A command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift 
my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, when you wait, here is what will happen. Jesus said, you will, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Oh, I, I tell you, trying to witness without the Holy Ghost. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And after he, Jesus, said this, he was taken up. He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Don't go anywhere, don't do anything, but wait. I read the entire passage there because I want you to see something and I want you to understand something. Where is God the Father? Uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 tells us, you know it, you've probably prayed it. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Where's the Father in heaven? Where is Jesus the Son? Well, it tells us in this passage as we, we read it that it tells us Jesus went up. He was taken up to where? To heaven. And this is what is known as the ascension. When people speak of the ascension, this is what they're describing. In fact, Scripture tells us multiple times that he, Christ, is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Hebrews 1 verse 3, after he, Jesus, had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Hebrews 8 verse 1, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. Hebrews 10 verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, Oh my goodness, that's a powerful verse right there. You've got to understand when Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished. It is a done work. It's not dependent on you. Oh, I don't know if God loves me anymore. I messed up yesterday. Understand the power of the gospel. A single sacrifice by the living God has been offered for you on the cross of Calvary. Give your life to him. Follow Christ. Live in the power of the spirit. Live in the power of what the cross has accomplished for you. Don't be walking around going, oh man, I just don't know if God loves No, understand, he did. this is about him, not about you. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And it goes on to say, I couldn't leave this out. For by a single offering, not your offering, not what you can bring to the table, by what he brings. For by a single offering, he is perfected. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I'm just trying to be perfect. No, no, he has perfected. For all time, those who are being sanctified. Hebrews 12, verse 2, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him and drew the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And Romans 8, verse 34 tells us, as ever making intercession for us. Where's the Father? There. Where's Jesus? There. Where's the Holy Spirit? Well, the book of Acts 
is telling us he's about to presence himself here. Come on, somebody. So wait for the gift, Jesus said in the book of Acts. Talking of the coming of the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 24, the last chapter of Luke, again, which is really talking about all the same events. Jesus said this, another angle, if you like, another perspective. Behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power. Clothed with power from on high. What is happening here? As Jesus went up and out of sight, the Holy Ghost was about to come down and give the church a fright. Come on, somebody. Don't go nowhere. Don't do nothing, he told his disciples. Stay till you're clothed. Wait till the gift comes. And I want to say here today, hear me. If Christ's disciples needed to be clothed with the power of the Holy Ghost, how much more do you and I today need to be? How much more do you and I need the Holy Ghost working in and through our lives? The great devotional writer Ian Bounds, who lived in the late part of the 18th century, died in the 19th. He wrote this. He said, the Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. Not through machinery. No, he, he doesn't. He, you've got to understand the Holy Ghost does not flow through programs and plans, but through people. Through people. And we know from Scripture that when the, when the Holy Spirit's fire came, he didn't come with just a touch, he came with fire. And when the Holy Spirit's fire came at Pentecost, we know, if you've read your scriptures, if you've been around the Bible for a while, you know when the Holy Ghost showed up like that, everything changed. Weaklings became warriors. Fearful became fearless. Miracles followed messages. Persecutors became preachers. The fact is, the Holy Ghost moving in and through people literally changed the then known world. It changed the world. In fact, it brought about the birth of the early church. People in their multiplied thousands became Christ followers quickly. You know, it wasn't easy to become a Christ follower. Some of them were put to death. But the church became unstoppable. And as the disciples were filled and empowered by the fire of the Holy Ghost, they began to spread across Asia Minor and Europe with the message of the gospel of Christ, with the message of the cross, the life-changing message of the cross. They became an unstoppable force. And it is said of these Jesus followers, when they would speak about them, they would be called troublemakers, friend. Now, what do people say about you? Oh, he calls no trouble. I want to tell you, when the Holy Ghost begins to work in your life, I, I, I want to tell you, some trouble's going to happen. Some stuff's going to happen. Oh, I pray I'm creating a hunger for you. And people, when they used to speak about them, they used to say, these people, these troublemakers, these, these Christian people, these Jesus followers. I mean, we're trying to keep out of trouble. Oh, don't. No, but, but these Jesus followers said they turned the world when they spoke about it. These people, who are these people who have come to our town and turned the world upside down? 
Oh, I pray that God would use us in a place where we can speak into people's lives and see the Holy Ghost move and see people's lives change for the better and turned upside down. Somebody give God some praise in this place. We want to do that through our life and through our ministry. Birth to early church. And the more emperors and kings tried to ban it, the more the Holy Ghost just banned it. We need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. Stay, wait, Jesus said. The truth is, we know not everybody waited. Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that the, resur that the resurrected Christ appeared to more than 500 people at one time. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost came, only 120 were gathered. Where was the other 380? Oh, we're busy. Got a lot going on. Friend, I want to tell you, you don't want to do the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And work in and through your life, whatever you're walking through. We need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy, Holy Ghost. We need Him. John R.W. Stott, who was for sure one of the greatest theologians, preachers of all time, certainly of modern times. In fact, in 2005, he died in 2011. Time magazine ranked Stott among the 100 most influential people alive in the world at the time. So this man is no fool. And he said this, before Christ sent the church into the world, he sent the Spirit into the church. The same order must be observed today. We can't think that we can possibly do this life on our own. And so the Apostle Paul warns us, 1 Thessalonians, do not quench the Spirit. It's the same in many versions, actually. Sometimes you can read different versions, but I mean, that's what it says. That's what it says in the ESV, the NIV, the NKJV, the NASB, just to name a few. In other versions, it puts it like this. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Another version says, do not extinguish the Spirit. Oh, my. Oh, that we can extinguish the work of the Spirit in our lives. The fact that that's a, a, even a possibility. Do not restrain the Holy Spirit. I, I want to tell you, the Lord's been convicting me. You have restrained. The Spirit. And I, I want to tell you that the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Another version says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. The Amplified Bible says this, do not quench, subdue, or be unresponsive to the working and guidance of the Holy Spirit. How about you? When you enter this place of worship, do you give you all? Do you come in ready to worship and throw yourself at His feet? See, I, I, I don't want to just do church. Church cannot save you, my friend. Christ saves, but we need His Holy Spirit, a longing in our heart that will come, I can't wait to worship Him. 
I cannot wait to lift up his name. I cannot wait to bring glory to him. He is worthy of all my praise. Worthy of all my worship. I read this by speaking around the verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not quench the spirit by Pastor Sam Storm, who's an author and pastor and written a few books. But he said this, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, that God has granted to Christians the ability, listen, to either restrict or release what the Spirit does in the life of the believer or of the local church. We can do it. The Spirit comes to us as a fire, either to be fanned into full flame and given the freedom to accomplish His will, or to be doused and extinguished by the water of human fear, control, and flawed theology. The Spirit obviously desires to work in your life and in your church. To use Paul's metaphor or analogy, the Spirit is like a fire whose flame we want to be careful not to quench or extinguish. The Holy Spirit wants to intensify the heat of His presence among us. Do it, Lord. To inflame our hearts and fill us with the warmth of His indwelling power. And Paul's exhortation is a warning to all of us, lest we become part of the contemporary bucket brigade that stands ready to douse his activity with the water of legalism, fear, and a flawed theology that without biblical warrant claims that his gifts have ceased and been withdrawn. Let me be clear on this as a church. We believe... That scripture alone, sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the only infallible rule for deciding matters of life and doctrine. Not Google. For deciding matters of life and doctrine that we believe as a Pentecostal church, along with a great weight of scholarship, that the scripture teaches that what the Holy Spirit did in the book of the book of Acts, then he can do in our lives now. I believe it. I think the word teaches it. It's not just trying to be fancy. I believe that's what scripture, sola scriptura teaches. Show me a verse that says anything different. Pastor Sam goes on to say throughout church history, those who would disagree with that have peppered their sermons and Bible studies and personal conversations with such dire warnings of charismatic excess that they have effectively quenched the Spirit's work in their lives and seek to do so in others. And all you have to do is go onto YouTube and you can find no end of heresy hunters. Mocking. And they can do that because... For good reason, we have given them fodder to mock with. It is true. It is true, and we as Pentecostals have to understand this, that that charismatic and Pentecostal excesses, craziness in some charismatic circles, has caused many to be cautious, has caused me to be cautious. I can't do life without the Spirit of God. I can't walk with this walk without the Spirit of God. This excess craziness and charismatic service, of course, makes us apprehensive when it comes to things of the Spirit. For good reason. Why? Because for among our ranks of some half a billion people, you need to understand the size of Pentecostalism. Some half billion people. 
who are faithful, God-honoring, Christ-following believers, there is no doubt a small but sometimes local bunch of wacky preachers. Charlatans manipulating people for money, preaching a prosperity gospel that's no gospel at all. Don't fall for it. Unbiblical practices, prophets who are false, and some generally flaky, wacky, immature leaders and people. And this is something as Pentecostals we cannot ignore. We must address. We must say, call a spade a spade. We must be clear. But for me, can I just say this? None of the above. None of the above. Changes what the Scripture teaches. There were false prophets around all throughout Scripture. It does not change what God's Word declares. Sola Scriptura. We believe what God's Word says. And I think it clearly proclaims, as do many other scholars, that the Holy Spirit that filled His people in the book of Acts then is still wanting to fill His people right now. But what if it gets weird, Pastor? I don't like weird. Neither do I. But what if it gets weird? I mean, because here's the thing. It's easier to say, no, I think the gifts have all ceased. It's just easier, right? Who wants to be a weirdo? No hands? Yep, see, I told you. It's like nobody wants to be a weirdo. No one wants to have those awkward moments. It's so easy to go, no, we're just going to teach the Word. We're just going to do that. But, 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 you know, the whole spirit thing. No, no, it's much easier to say, no, nah, we'll just, you know, just a word. It's ceased. Where in the Bible does it say it? Forbid not the speaking of tongues. Where is the, where, where, where is the verse that says, no, no, that's stopped now? Test prophetic words. Where, where is the verse that, say, that says, okay, no, don't do any prophet. No, where, where is that? We've got to understand. If we are going to actually act with biblical integrity, let's be honest, the Bible has some weird stuff in it. It really does. Uh, you, you know it. You've read it. You go, that's weird. There's weird stuff in the Bible. John chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus spat on the ground. I have never done this. Jesus spat on the ground, mixed some mud, and then rubbed it, because I'm not going to spit on the carpet for a start, the, the, uh, and, and rubbed it into the blind guy's eyes. The Bible has talking donkeys, strange visions, devils and demons. And I declare to every devil and demon, that I seek to rob the church of its power. Your time is over. In the name of Jesus. We need breakthrough power of God. There's weird stuff in the Bible. He parted the Red Sea for Moses. He closed the mouths of lions for Daniel. He protected men thrown into a fiery, fiery furnace, not to mention a man swallowed by a fish. Visions and dreams, words of knowledge that happened, that happened in Scripture, right? To ignore the weird stuff, one has to cut out. And when you say, oh, no, the, no to, weird, to, to, to ignore the weird stuff of Scripture, one has to cut out gigantic portions of the Word of God. Scripture itself proclaims, for the kingdom of God is not in word, 
but in power. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20 ESV. And the King and uh, NIV it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And all I'm saying today is if the Spirit did that, then He can do that now. And I've got, I mean, I shared when I did a series, I think it was last year, I can't remember, on cessationism, where I, where I shared stories of what, stuff that I cannot explain apart from God, but God things, stuff where God's turned up and, and miracles happen. Have you had things in your life that, that, that have happened in your life? Maybe you're, I know people like Sherman that were wanting, needing food and food turned up in the back door. Have you had a miracle and you need some money and some, something came in or something? Can you put your hand up if you've had a miracle like that? You've had a healing or something? Look around the room. See, there's, 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 there's God, He's a miracle working God. And I want to tell you, if miracles have ceased, somebody better tell them. So many stories seem, don't make sense, seem a little crazy, seem like a weird. And so many, there'll be so many stories here. Even in my reading and study and preparation for this, I, I read stories, not 10th hand accounts, but actual accounts from people who know these people. One man was about to speak in a church and he was about to preach the message as he was getting up. He was the guest speaker in the church. God said, I want you to stand up and say, keep on trucking. He's like, no, that's got to be the devil. I'm not going to say that. He said, no, get up and say, keep on trucking. He's like, that is weird. But he kept feeling it. He's got to say it. So he said, look, I don't know what this has to do with anything. He's like, I, I just, I, I felt I need to say, keep on trucking. And the congregation started to giggle and laugh. He's like, oh, man, yep, blown it. But what were they laughing about? He didn't know until after the service. See, there was a recently widowed woman in the service. She'd lost her husband and they owned a large trucking company. And so she sent a prayer request out to the church asking them, would you please pray? I don't know whether to continue on with this business. I don't know whether to keep it and or to sell it off. And so they were laughing because when the preacher gets up and says, I just want to say, keep on trucking. There was her answer right there in that moment. She knew exactly what to do. Smith Wigglesworth. Did some weird stuff. As a Pentecostal preacher, he had a radical conversion. He was illiterate. He learned to read. He was a plumber, actually. Plumber. And he's come to fix your pipes. He's a plumber. And he had a radical experience with the Holy Ghost. He was a man of prayer and the Word. In fact, he read no other book. He was always in the Bible. They, they, they said he, he hardly went like 15 minutes without quoting Scripture or reading His Word. In fact, in his house, he refused to have newspapers in his house. Absolutely refused. So I just want to read the Word. And so he would hear God, and as he was walking down the street one day in the UK, he felt as he was walking past a house, go and yell John 3.16 through the letterbox. You know, in the UK, they've got the flap in the door. Go and yell John 3. Now, how, how many have God said that? <laughs> Go and yell it through the letterbox. No, Lord, that's weird. 
But anyway, he, 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 was, he, he was about obeying what God spoke. And so he went to the door, lifted the flap, and yelled, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whomsoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And he walked away. Didn't think anything of it until a meeting. I don't know if it was that night or later on in the week where he was preaching. And a guy got up to testify. He said, this week I was going to take my life. I was standing on a chair with a noose around my neck. In my home when suddenly through the, through the letterbox came, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whomsoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Don't tell me, friends, I would have spirit of God. Use us. We don't just want to do church. This is not about what happens in a service. It's what happens in the marketplace, how God can use you if we would listen and say, God, don't just touch me. Fill me. Fill me afresh with your fire. See, in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, and I know I'm out of time, but I want, to, I, I want you to hear this. You know the story of the gate where, they, where, where Peter and John, they're, they're walking towards the gate, the gate called Beautiful. And there was a beggar there, and he calls out for money, and they, they said this, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went to them. In the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. Someone said this, Alas, today we as a church can say silver and gold have we plenty, but we've lost the ability to say in the name of Christ Jesus, get up and walk. We need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Stephen, a man in Scripture full of the Holy Ghost, moved in the power, signs and wonders in the power. He wasn't an apostle. He was just a regular believer. In Acts 7, he was arrested and about to get stoned. For young people, that means something completely different. He was about to be stoned to death with rocks for his faith. Yet there was no fear in his eyes. In fact, he saw a vision of heaven. Scripture says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And he said this as he took his last breath. Someone said this, hear me. Before the Holy Spirit came, the disciples found it hard to do easy things. After the Holy Spirit came, they found it easy to do hard things. Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit like Stephen. Let us not quench and stifle or extinguish what you desire to do. Would you stand? Where is the Father heaven? Where is Jesus seated at the right hand of God? Where is the Holy Spirit here? Ready to do a work in our lives. As I close, one of the things I love about the story of Stephen is that the Holy Spirit here allowed Stephen to see a vision of Jesus up there. 
But notice, Scripture says, as I read out before, that Jesus was no longer seated. He was standing. He was standing. The, the Jesus who was seated was standing, ready to receive. Son. God, by the Holy Spirit, may we see. Come on, put your hands out. Like, may God, may, by the Holy Spirit, may we see visions and dreams. May we dream dreams as we seek to follow the Spirit's leading. As we seek right here in this church to follow the Spirit's leading in our lives. Speak to us even this week. Fill us afresh with your fire right now. That we would know and hunger and thirst for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Praise God through whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Give God some glory.